Please hear the words of Daniel chapter 4, 28, through the end of the chapter in verse 37. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And as he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me. And I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. May God bless the reading of his word to your heart. You may be seated. Please uh, join me in a word of uh, join me in a word of prayer as we come before God's teaching today. Lord God, thank you for the prophet Daniel. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, which First Peter tells us carried along all of Scripture through the prophets. Lord, thank you for the teaching that you have for us today. May we be taught, may we be sanctified as a result of what you would have us know. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I recently had uh, the opportunity this week to interview for a job at a company I hadn't worked before. For, uh, before. I had the opportunity to um, come in and display, here's my life's worth. Here's a, here's a resume. Here's a decade worth of work in a financial industry. Is this what you want? And as I'm driving in for my interview, as I'm moving and making my way in, my heart is pounding, I'm anxious, I'm nervous. Am I gonna sound stupid? Am I, what, what, what is going on here? I calm myself with my typical routines, which is I go to a few favorite hymns, I put them on, I start singing them out loud. My kids are in the back of the car, but they're watching whatever is playing on the DVD player in the car. And I'm just belting out the hymns until my heart calms down. I'm a few minutes out from the building where I'm going to be meeting my wife and 
handing her the car, swapping off the kids, and me going into the interview. And as I approach uh, this time, as I get ready in these last 10 minutes, I start reflecting on the challenge in front of me. I think anyone who's interviewed has experienced this, which is, here I am about to go in, and my job is to confidently talk about how valuable I am, my skills, what value I can add to their business, the tremendous experience I have. I have to pitch this and make them see this confidently. And yet, I can't boast. God calls me not to boast. I need to be honest. I need to not embellish on what I've done. I shouldn't be taking credit as if I'm the sole person who is responsible for something a group did, right? Or a big project that I was but a piece of and take credit for it as if it was all my own. I'm having Daniel 4 roll through my head. I have Nebuchadnezzar, I can't help it. All the time I have Daniel's voice in my head because you spend so much time there, it's just rolling and I'm just thinking about this. And as I pull up to my interview, I'm praying and I spend at least five minutes in prayer, I think, not keeping track of the time, I'm kind of on autopilot to my wife's work where to meet her and I'm praying, Lord, please keep me humble. Please keep me honest and yet confident. Help me to speak clearly, speak to what I know, but also speak to what I don't know. Be humble. And I'm praying and I am feeling calm in front of this interview. And praise the Lord, I go in, hand off with the kids is great, and I go into this building and I have the opportunity to interview with the CEO and COO of this company. Two, two wonderful ladies who are taking time out of the end of a Friday, end of a day on a Friday, to interview me and hear what I have to say. I have the interview, I discuss it, they talk about my resume, they pull out things. I can tell they've actually read my resume, which is impressive for an interviewer. And here I am, getting an opportunity to put out all my wares. I can read about halfway through, I start reading the body language, the body language is clear. They're buying it, they understand it, they know what it is I'm saying I offer. The Lord even blesses me and I have the opportunity multiple times when they've described what they're looking for, I have the opportunity to say, I don't know how to do that, but let me show you my track record and history of learning things quickly, deeply, and executing on them. I'm confident I can do that with this topic that I don't know. And I have the opportunity to be honest and communicate. And I'm going through this and praise the Lord, you're thinking on your feet, you're doing the best you can, you get to the end of the interview, and at the very end of the interview, I even have the chance to answer a question that was about, what would your coworkers say about you? Give me three things. I had not prepped an answer for this, so I throw out the first three things I can think of, I'm passionate, I care about systems and building systems, and I care about people, I deeply care about people. Well, in an interview, you can't just say an answer to a question, you have to say an answer, give an example of having done it, and then you have to give them, tell them how you can do that at their company so that they would wanna hire you. So they've already heard me passionately, way too passionately talk about systems. So care for people is the only thing left that I have to demonstrate. And who in the world is walking into an interview and says, I don't care about people, right? So I've just given something that's probably just too generic. And yet the Lord has made the path clear. In my free time, I am a pastor. I have the opportunity to serve my God by taking care of people. But I am called to behave that way in work. And what's going to be of more lasting value in the workplace, both at where I currently work and if you hire me here, what's gonna be a more lasting value is the impact on the relationships that I have, not on the money I make the company. It was a perhaps gutsy statement in the moment that 
if I thought through more clearly, maybe I would have worded differently because I'm talking to a COO and CEO and just told them their fiscal bottom line is not nearly as important to me as my relationship with Bill in accounting. And yet, it was the right answer. It is true. It was true. And they pick up on it. They start telling me they had evidently looked at LinkedIn and saw that there were things tied back to foster care, and they start asking me about foster care. And next thing I know, they're talking to me about the care of people, and here I have hopefully appropriately tied it back to, well, where that stems from is what God calls me to do. So I end an interview, and I'm thinking, what just happened? I just had an interview in which I was honest, I was humble, I, all my prayers were answered. I even got to talk about God, and they were appreciative of the thing about which I was talking about. It all went well. And so I left that building, shaking hands, thinking, never more confident, I'm getting a job offer. Well, it's a Friday afternoon, I haven't heard back, I don't know. Um, but as I'm leaving, I get in the car, I pull around the corner, right? I'm hoping they don't see my car, I'm thinking it's finance, I'm supposed to be driving a BMW or whatever the image is, but here I am driving my little Prius C, I go around the corner, and I breathe for a second. I take off my suit coat, it's 110, and the car's hot, the AC's not working well. And what do I think? I start reflecting on the interview and everything I've said. I killed that interview. I did it. That was, that was it. What just happened? I prayed for wisdom. I prayed for the battle I was about to enter into, the battle I was having with my heart just in the lack of ability to calm down on the drive. I prayed for the battle that I knew I was entering with my pride in an interview. And when the battle is done, I sit down in my car and I say along with Nebuchadnezzar, look at my kingdom that I built for my majesty. What is this? The battle was done. How did this happen? How does pride creep in? How does it find a way when I'm in my calm and my thoughts? It's not when I'm talking to someone. It's not when I'm telling my wife something great. Because if I'm proud of my wife, she knows the truth. She's going to read right through it. But if I'm talking to an interviewer, be easy to say something. What can they say that I'm wrong? They have no proof. But yet, it's when I'm calm and my reflecting to myself, when I have nothing to gain, that I'm at my peak boastfulness. Well, if we look in Daniel 4, you'll see at the beginning of this instance, what Nebuchadnezzar ends up experiencing, I think resonates with both my experience and what I will imagine will be for all of you, which is when you do not expect it, when you are not prepared for it, when you are just experiencing life, even doing something that might on the surface be virtuous and good, pride is waiting to sneak its way in. In the moments of calm and peace, pride is waiting on the moments of reflection. Look at what happens here in Daniel 4, 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is this not great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? He's walking on the roofs reflecting on his beautiful, splendorous kingdom. And you might be thinking, well, I've got no kingdom. I've got two bedrooms and one bathroom being shared by too many people, right? But think about whatever your kingdom is. You know what it is. When, when your coworker is complaining about their marriage, Maybe it's that moment where you start thinking, my marriage isn't that bad, and it's because I do this. I buy flowers for my wife. I do these things. We go to church and talk about God. And suddenly it goes from 
being concerned about someone's marriage to then being puffed up about the reality of your marriage and what God has done in your marriage. Maybe it's a mom talking to another mom about her children. And it turns from being grateful for the work God is doing in that child's life and the character and development and everything that's coming from it. And the next thing you know, it slipped into, I'm a pretty good parent. I wasn't the parent that did the counting method. You better come here, one, two, three. No, I'm the parent who disciplined. I'm the parent who, I did things the right way, the old school kind of way. I tell my kids to rub dirt in it, and as a result, they're confident, bold children, right? Suddenly, the glory of that could come from children is mine as a parent, not God's. It might be in your academic prowess. It might be in the outcomes of a test, or it might be come out in any number of ways. I'm sure you know it for yourself where pride sneaks out. I can guarantee you the one place, if we look at any fight between a husband and wife, any confrontation, and we look at that, I'm pretty sure the pride meter is high on both sides, and the ability to be brought low in two appropriate places is very difficult. We're not that different from Nebuchadnezzar in this. We're not that different. And if we even think about Nebuchadnezzar in this situation, you go, well, it's 12 months later. It's 12 months later. We've got to give him a pass. It's been 12 months. He had a dream. Daniel, you know, Daniel gave him the interpretation, and time's gone by. Maybe he's forgotten it. And I'm the, I'm the same way. I forget, I forget the things that I was taught you know, two hours earlier in church, let alone 12 months of a teaching. And yet, we know in verse 5 of Daniel 4 that Nebuchadnezzar was alarmed. The words alarmed and afraid were used. This was traumatic vision. And, and not only was it a vision that he was afraid of bringing in all his counselors, it was a vision that was about him, not just the kingdom, him losing his kingdom. I, I think there's no way Nebuchadnezzar has this out of his memory. He didn't forget about the interaction. Now, where he may have forgotten or lost sight of was not what would happen to him, but instead he'd probably lost sight of what Daniel taught in verse 27 when Daniel told him to break off from his sin, break off from your pride and practice righteousness. This exposition from Daniel is lost clearly in Nebuchadnezzar's behavior. And for us, it's similar. We know our Bibles. Many of us do the Bible through the year app, whether you're listening to it or sitting down and reading it, you go through the whole Bible and you hear these promises from God. With this passage, we see immediately in 31, verse 31, it says, while the words were still in his mouth, God follows through. We see it here. God follows through. While the words are in his mouth, a voice from heaven comes down speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. And when that voice speaks, it speaks judgment. And worst of all, it speaks judgment that he's heard before. And it's familiar, right? That feeling of, for me, it was my mom and dad saying, hey, can you come to my room? We need to talk to you, right? That feeling of like, oh no, this is it. Uh, what have I done? And you start racking through all your mistakes, right? And thinking, which one did they figure out? It's the same thing here. Nebuchadnezzar, it was a moment. I just said, look at my majestic kingdom. That was this kingdom that was for my majesty. And it's lost in a moment. It's lost in a moment. There's a voice that comes down and tells him, you are going to be put out of the kingdom and what you have been told will happen. And it's happening in the very place that he was told it would, which is Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar feels the immediate judgment. Here, verses 31 uh, through 33. 
While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird claws. It's immediate. God fulfills his promises. He fulfilled it immediately. Nebuchadnezzar should have known better. How about us? How about us? When a doctor tells us we're pre-diabetic, or maybe you do have diabetes, If you continue to consume food in your current lifestyle, you're going to die or you're going to have major complications. If you consume sugar, what do you do? You measure it. You make sure you never have too big a juice box. You don't have too low a blood sugar. You, You do everything in your power to keep things in line and on the straight path because the doctors told you if you do this, then, if then, right, you will, you will die. You'll have consequences. What about a mechanic? If a mechanic tells you you need to stay up on oil changes on your car every 3,000 miles or the engine's going to break down, well, stick with it. I mean, it's one of the few things you can count on me actually doing is when the indicator comes on that I need to do an oil change, I will do it because the mechanics told me, my dad, my grandpa, right, has told me, change your oil. When the boss tells you, hey, if you show up late for this job, you're going to be fired, what do we do? Especially if we've had a history, they've done the write-up or whatever, suddenly that alarm gets earlier, you wake up earlier, you get there, you get to the job, you probably never have a late appearance again. Why do do we see such successful turnarounds or changes of behavior in difficult things like lifestyle and, uh, you know, fighting sleep and dealing with alarms and getting families ready and going? Why is all of this so doable? And yet for Nebuchadnezzar, in 12 months, he can't help but boast after hearing from a prophet the words of God and from hearing from the watchers, the holy ones, an angel in his vision, he's heard what's going to happen to him. We're in the same boat. We're in the same boat. We've been told, if you do this, then this will happen. Just like with those professionals who tell us what will be the consequence of not following through. We've been told, in Proverbs 11, we're told, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. In Proverbs 16, we're told, everyone who is arrogant in heart is, everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to Yahweh. Be Uh, Be on guard because be assured that you will not go unpunished. Again, in in Proverbs 16, we're told pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We're told again now in Proverbs 18 that before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. And then we're told again in Proverbs 29 that one's pride will bring him low. Well, we've just had I just listed like eight, seven or eight if-then statements on what will happen from a holy promise-keeping God that we've seen with Nebuchadnezzar, he will follow through. And we've heard this so many times. How many times have we read Proverbs? My grandma reads Proverbs more than anyone I know. I heard phrases like a proverb a day, keep the devil away. You read these over and over. And yet what happens? Pride creeps in. Pride creeps in. 
Jesus in Matthew tells us, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And Jesus' ability to humble is frightening. It's frightening. In James, we're told, in James 4, we're told, God opposes the proud. So if we don't want disgrace, we don't want destruction, we don't want to be brought low, we don't want to be humbled, we don't want to be opposed by God, we know all these things are things we don't want, and yet, even though we've read this so many times, here I am in it, after an interview, after praying the right things, feeling pride just swelling up. How do we fight this? How do we deal with this? How do we deal with the consequences of the flesh? Practically, realistically, how do I fight pride? You don't. You can't. You'll lose every time. You will not be able to bootstrap yourself over pride. The thing that I had done well in my interview is I had turned my pride over to God for God to do with it what he wanted. Not the time after the interview. No need for that. I'm out of the battle. Now it's back to me. It's reflecting on me and what I said. It's back to me and my will. And what is the result of my will? It is the flesh. Look with me over in, Dan, in uh, Daniel 5. If you go over a page, this, this incident, today we are done with Nebuchadnezzar in the sense that we're done with his narrative. And yet in Daniel 5, when Belshazzar is sinning and he has the handwriting on the wall, he knows, he has his wife tell him, hey, don't you remember your dad's dude who comes and interprets these, these things? He knows some great mysteries. Bring him in. So he brings him in. And he tries to get Daniel to drink from vessels that are the, from the house of God. Daniel says, no way. And in verse 18 of Daniel 5, he recounts and tries to remind Belshazzar that uh, pride of Nebuchadnezzar, his father, was what brought him low. And so we get teaching on this incident for the purpose of teaching Belshazzar, but it helps us today. Look in verse 18 of Daniel 5. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. His heart was hardened and lifted up Nebuchadnezzar goes through some crazy stuff. We, if we saw him, we would say, he's a crazy person, he needs to be institutionalized, he's out eating grass, being fed like oxen, his nails are growing long, his hair is getting unruly, and is specifically getting wet with the dew being outside overnight. We would say there's a problem here. And yet, he has been unreasonable from the day of his birth. This is a physical manifestation of an inward condition in that his heart was high. He looked at what he had done. He wasn't looking at the God most high. God is reason. God is reason. Anything outside of God and his nature is unreasonable. 
the things, the science, the whatever you want to call it of this world is not reason. The way we think is because of a designer and creator who is reason. And so for him to not see, know, and understand God is to have no reason. And God said, fine, I will make your sin public and great in front of everyone. I will show your unreasonableness in your behavior. So this happens. But what's wonderful in this is that there was an until. This is happening to him until in both this in Daniel 5, but also in Daniel 4 and in the visions in Daniel 4. Multiple times it said, until what? He sees the God most high and that he has rule and authority. He has sovereignty. So the answer to the question, how do we fight pride, knowing that we can't and that it's God, well, when does Nebuchadnezzar's end? When does his, his turmoil end? It's not just when he knows. Look at the wording used at the beginning of, or in um, verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. He lifted his eyes to heaven. My interview is pretty darn meaningless in perspective of heaven and God and his kingdom. So to fight pride is to be filled with Christ. It is to have your eyes on God. It is to be so full of Christ that there is no room for pride. It is to be so filled with the glory and awe and splendor of God that you have no room for pride. It is the only solution. It's the only antidote. We need to lift our eyes up and see the most high God that he rules. Nebuchadnezzar finally does in what I believe is a earthly way. It is not in a saving way. He now knows because he has experienced again that God is in authority and that he gives his kingdom to whom he will, the lowliest of men. And yet, even that earthly understanding that is not saving has brought him a blessing and that God allowed his earthly reason to come back to him. Well, the solution is there for us then. We need to be filled with Christ. If I were to end the sermon there, I can see it now. I need to be filled with Christ. Hurrah, let's go out. I'm motivated. Wait a minute. Where's the gas tank that I fill up with Christ? How do I fill up with Christ? How do I be so full to the top that I have no pride? And the prophet Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Thus says Yahweh, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares Yahweh. That's the model. It's given to us, and it's practical. If you want to fight boastfulness, <coughs> excuse me, if you want to fight boastfulness in your might, in whether it's physical prowess or your teaching or what you're doing with your kids, whatever's going on in your life, if you want to fight that boasting, if you want to fight the boasting of, look how much I know my scripture. I haven't had a day missing devotions. Look at my Bible app. It has a score that tells me how many weeks I've had in a row, right? Whatever that thing is, whether it's your riches, whether whatever it might be, that little kingdom that you rule and you want to point out your majesty, the way to fight being proud of it 
What are we told by the prophet Jeremiah? Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The way to be filled with Christ is to understand Christ and to know Christ. And praise the Lord, we have means to understand and know Christ. We have means for it. Fill yourself with scripture. Fill yourself with hymns and prayer. Praise and extol your God. As we'll see Nebuchadnezzar does in just a few verses, he praises and extols his God. And when he is doing that, he's not actively able to speak of his majesty because he's too busy spending his time extolling and praising God. I did not struggle with my pride on my drive to the interview because I was listening to hymns, because I was praying to God, I was asking for humility. I wasn't struggling in the interview because I had prepared for it. I had prayed, I had asked to be equipped. In the back of my head, you have kind of a prayer, a jumbled prayer, no stenographer would be able to take it down, but it is a prayer flowing between you and God as you're doing it. Just as I'm praying now in this moment, you have prayer kind of just running in the back of your head. And I'm prepared. And then when you shut it off, because I've shaken hands, the door's been shut, the time period has ended, and I've opened myself back up, I am now empty and prepared to be filled with something, whatever that is, that is my pride and my glory. Instead, I, I should have realized it's a never-ending battle. I have to be filled with Christ all the time. I should have been giving thanks and repeating back to God his words. I should have been giving thanks. Again, in Jeremiah chapter 9, we're told that we need to know that he is God, right? We need to know him. But for those who both boast in this, that you know me, that you understand and know me, that I am Yahweh, I am God. But it doesn't just stop there. He is the God who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness, not just in general, but in the earth. He just talked about Christ. Jeremiah just talked about Christ. What is the manifestation of the God in earth practicing steadfast love? Its peak manifestation is Christ what is justice? It is that Christ became justice for us, taking on our sin. What is righteousness? It is the way in which we have been called to act, which is like Christ in the earth. Not just in general, not ethereal, practically. So I'm going to give you a prescription for this week. I would like to practically assign you something to do this week. And I ask, even though it might mess with your routine, you might have a morning routine, and it's do not mess with it, I'm asking you to mess with it. For one week, please give me a chance. Give me a shot. This week, memorize one passage, one verse. I've listed maybe 10 so far. I can give you one if you need to find one. You can Google it. You can talk to someone. But find one verse about pride in Scripture and memorize it. Memorize it today. If you want to take Proverbs 16, you can go, Pride comes before destruction, the haughty spirit before a fall. Many of us might already have that memorized. Maybe our parents made us memorize it in moments of, of teaching. But once you have that, start your morning. It'll take two minutes. Say it out loud ten times and say it slowly, thinking about the words. If we want to be filled with Christ, it is by knowing and understanding him. So what better way to know and understand him than to say the words that are true of Christ back to him? Say it 10 times and out loud. Feel it on your lips. Feel it in the air. If you're a parent, even better. Have your children hear the wisdom of God. Say it 10 times. Then after that, pray. Pray the verse. When I say pray the verse, I mean pray the words. God, please do not allow me to be destroyed 
fight, help me fight my pride. Help, be filling me with Christ so I do not have pride. Help me avoid a fall by filling me, not with haughtiness, but with Christ. Christ has already determined I'm one not to be destroyed. Help me now behave like one who should not be destroyed by not having pride. Cement in and fill yourself with the words of God, knowing him. So after having 10 times said your verse, it takes you two minutes, having a one-minute prayer, you now, the last thing I, I ask that you do is that the hymn we're about to sing in just a moment is All I Have is Christ. And if you look at the words, you pay attention to what we're going to sing today. We're confessing that Christ is all we got. We start off with this hell-bound race that he saves us from, and the very last verse ends with, my only boast is you, and then singing hallelujah. Fill ourselves with boasting of Christ and of God and the knowledge of God. Look at, look at Nebuchadnezzar. We'll end with this. Look at what Nebuchadnezzar has to say at the end of Daniel 4. These are the last words we get from Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to give the unbelievers in here a curse. It is a statement of truth that is a curse for those of you who do not believe. But for those of us that do believe, it is a wonderful promise. Hear the words of Nebuchadnezzar. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. If you're not a believer, you will be humbled. It will be painful. It will be very painful. If you are a believer, praise God. He's able to humble me. He's able to, and he will. He's promised it. This is where I have confidence. If you do the practical things of filling yourself with God, the means he's given us, you will fight your pride because we've just been promised he will humble us. Praise God. We can be humbled. Let us be humble and let us approach our God grateful for Christ and what he has done. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for what you have done in teaching us through Nebuchadnezzar. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to not experience what Nebuchadnezzar experienced, but instead letting us see where our lives are to change and become more like Christ as a result of your teaching to Nebuchadnezzar, Lord. Please help us as a church to be filled with Christ, to be filled not with the things of this world, but to be filled with your praise and your extolling. May you be glorified in our actions. In your son's name we pray. Amen.